Welcome to Retirementals, a podcast that dives headfirst into the issues facing the financial sector at the intersection of investment, technology and financial advice. Hosted by Abraham Oksanya, you can expect raw honesty, critical analysis and energetic interviews. Here is your host, Abraham Oksanya. Hello and welcome to Retirementals. I am Abraham Okusaya and it's great to have you here on the podcast. Uh, We've got an exciting session, really, really, really fascinating conversation planned today. Um, But before we dive into the conversation and uh, before I introduce my guest, um, please do me a favor, all right? I've been told I should say this all the time. Give us a review if you're listening to the podcast and you're enjoying it, hopefully. Otherwise, why are you listening? Um, uh, Please do leave us a review on iTunes podcast. Uh, Sorry, iTunes podcast? (laughs) Leave us a review on Apple podcast. (laughs) I have old passion. Let's just dive right in. I am truly, truly excited by my guest today he is the founder and the ceo of fundment the challenger platform the the startup platform that is taking on um the big players in the in the market so i'm talking about none other of course than ola abdul ola welcome to retirementals thanks very much abram uh i know you've had some industry legends on this <laughs> podcast so. I'm delighted to be following in their footsteps. Well, you're a bit of a legend yourself, aren't you? You know, so let's let's back up. Um, You're you're a very, very humble man. The first time I met you was at the PFS conference um, a few years ago, and we were kind of talking, and you were talking about the platform fundament and the work that you're doing. You never mentioned to me that you were the CEO. You know, I was looking at you and thinking, Who's this guy? Who's this other black guy in financial services? I'm the only one. And then also, all of a sudden, you showed up on the scene. Tell us a little bit about your journey, um, Ola, uh, how you got to where we are today. Yeah, um, I think I've been in financial services for a while, actually, Uh, although not on the platform side of things. I've always been on the asset management side of things. Um, I spent time with uh, the large asset managers. I began my career with Aberdeen, Aberdeen Asset Management, uh, doing products, you know, business management, all that sort of thing. Learned a lot about the business of running money for clients, really, uh, primarily on the active side of things. That's what Aberdeen, obviously, are known for. Um, and after a few years there, you move, as people do. You know, I found myself working with another firm, BlackRock. Everyone knows who they are. Uh, this time, you know, got truly indoctrinated into the, well, I've used the word indoctrination uh, very loosely. But you sort of get into the uh, uh, passive side of things. Uh, I spent time with the iShares team, uh, again, working across across the business. So you learn so much um, from that firm. And the fundamental proposition itself, you know, it came out off the back of some thinking along the lines of why enterprises using ETFs, basically, uh, given the uh, efficiencies that our product can offer. 
given a lot of the features that it has, some of which may not be necessary to advisors. I understand it, but a lot of it, you know, clearly uh, are useful to advisors. And uh, why aren't they using it? Unlike what we see in Europe and the US and elsewhere. Um, and there was actually a report in the FT, uh, FT itself, not FT advisor, FT uh, last week saying ETFs are now larger than their index mutual funds cousins. All right, ETFs are now, what is it, 7.2 trillion. Oh, right, 7.2 billion. Sorry, forgot about the numbers here, but slightly bigger. Um, so they've grown a lot, you know, in the US and Europe, but not in the UK. So the question was why? So we thought, okay, infrastructure is not there to support it so therefore uh let's build something that, that might do it and that's you know where the whole thing started um with so it. so you thought advisors aren't using etfs and i'm going to build a platform to help them use ETFs. That was the initial thesis. That was the that was where it started from. So we thought, okay, let's build a solution for it. Let's even help them with constructing intelligent portfolios around ETFs, you know. Um, but let's sort of build the execution engine behind it. So you, you're not giving them portfolios and they have to go somewhere else to get it. Um, but then as you dig into it, as you try to understand the platform market itself you then start to see all the issues that are there to be resolved. You start to see the inefficiencies. You start to see the lack of understanding of technology by, you know, long established incumbents. You start to see that this is actually a very valuable sector, but one that has got a very terrible technology culture. So it doesn't take long actually for one to realize that, okay, we need to move away from this CTF thing. Advisors clearly don't care about it. Um, but they do want a great platform. In fact, when you and I met um, at that event, you know, some of the things I was doing at that point was just going around the country, speaking to advisors, trying to learn um, about their operating experience. You know, what platforms are you on? Um, what do you enjoy about it? What do you not like about it? Uh, so you gather all those feedback, and by 2018, really, we were in a very good position to actually now start saying to advisors. We've got a platform that works. Right. Wow. It it's an incredible journey. So you started the original um, you know, business in 2015, thereabouts. That was around the time. Actually, it's funny. I know I shouldn't say this publicly, but I actually set up the company while I was still an employee at right, BlackRock. Right. Uh, but I didn't really do anything with the company or anything else until um, 15. Uh, so by December 15, we filed uh, authorized well, application to run a business with the FCA. The application came through around April 16. That was when we became authorized. But even then, you can't do anything because clearly you, you can't run a platform just because you've got authorized. There's a lot of work you have to do. So that took us another 18 months to two years. Uh, so by mid-2018, we were sort of able to bring on the first client. So. Right. That is um, that is the journey, really, and um, the journey continues, you know, because there is still so much more stuff we're building. Uh, you know, the platform has been built by our team, yeah, in London, um, with love, of course, um, and um, you know, going through every pain you go through trying to build 
technology um, to support advisors is enjoyable, is fun, is exhilarating actually, but it's also incredibly painful uh, because you need to build something that will support a wide range of advisors and they all have varying operating models. You know, some of them will use model portfolios, some of them won't. Some of them will, even within model portfolios, they have various ways they do it. Some of them would rebalance, some of them do rebalance, some of them want fix, some of them want drifting, you know. Doing all that, along with your core platform operations, which is incredibly complex. You know, the more we do this, the more we realize, my goodness, platform business is not, it's not easy. I think the industry at some point would do better to at least give platforms a bit of credit because I see people, I would never slag off any platform uh, because I appreciate now um, how really difficult it is. Um, but it's, it's, it's a key part of the advice process. And um, yeah, I think we all have a responsibility to make sure we get it right. So it's an incredible journey that, you know, you started out, you, I guess, pivoted and focused on on the platform side of things. So just give us the helicopter view today in terms of the business, the people in the business, and more importantly, what your core um, sort of your value proposition to, to financial advisors. Yes. Um, well, I think, you know, we've grown a lot, uh, actually. Um, for example, this time last year, it was a team of, we're still a team of around, okay, 2018, was me, our CTO, and two other software engineers, four. Uh, 2019, the team went to like eight. Uh, by last year, this time last year, it was a team of around 12. Today, we're around 2023-ish. 20, uh, heavily tilted towards software engineering. Uh, I think the backend team is about, 40%, uh, front-end team, another 20%, then the, uh, the design team, maybe, you know, two people also there, uh, and then distribution, support, sales, and the rest of it. Um, we are sort of still early days, you know, working with uh, around 100 firms now, uh, and a lot of these firms are migrating their, their business to us from the other platforms they're on. Um, and they sort of vary in size, you know, we've got national firms using us. We've got firms that are somewhere in the middle using us. And we have to use sort of smaller firms as well uh, using us. For us, and this is the core uh, proposition, for us, it's not the size of the firm is not always important to us. It's the mindset mm. of the firm. It's the, um, it's the way they run portfolios, for example. You know, it's, you know, whether they appreciate the power of automation, you know, in a platform, which in turn means, you know, we would prefer them to be sort of running some sort of centralized investment proposition, be it one that they're running themselves or one that you've outsourced to somebody like yourself, you know, to, to run for them. Um, that is our ethos, really. And all the automation we built behind the scene is meant to sort of make life easier for not just the advisors, but for the, for where I running the portfolio for them. Uh, and also, more importantly, the end clients making sure they get they get uh, the best value ever. So, yeah, we always have, you know, core mission really is to transform investment experience for advisors and their clients. And um, you know, when they sort of use our platform that way, that is exactly what we think we're doing. I think you've done an incredible job. Essentially, it, it's not easy, right? You know, to you know, to get any business off the ground, 
let alone a platform business in you know which is highly highly regulated so kudos to you and then of course you've raised um you know around 10 million pounds so far and the latest round 3.4 million um you know can you unpack the funding process the fundraising process for our audience what does it how does this work when you go to to VC, tell tell us that journey when you raised the first uh, round and the second and that one and 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 yeah, uh, it's, um, you need you need I, I think you need a bit of luck um, <laughs> to raise money uh, for you know for an early stage business. Um, obviously, you need a good proposition. You need a good team that investors can believe because at that point, quite frank, quite frankly, you don't have any data mm. to buy anything you say to them. Uh, it comes down to whether they believe in your vision, whether they believe in you and your team, and whether they believe you're you know, addressing uh, a market that is of real value. And the fact that you know, there's been a lot of investment into this sector in the last year or so will support you know, our investors you know, uh, with, you know, with the belief they had in us. So the first investment was um, a firm in Oxford, you know, it was a small micro VC over there. I was introduced to them, went over there to Oxford, presented the business to them. This was 2015, 2000, early 2016. Presented it to them, just PowerPoint, we wanted to do this, you know, would you invest? <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, I think I must have done a good job because they told me there and then we like what you're trying to do. Yes, we're going to give you the first check. Um, and that sort of helped us through the, well, paying for the cost of the regulatory process and getting authorized and the rest of it. But just as we got authorized, then we did another funding round. This time it was led by a Stockholm based VC, uh, who would, you know, they invest generally in fintech businesses around Europe. Uh, I met them at a FinTech event uh, in Berlin, maybe Berlin of of Finland. That was one of these, you know, events, you know, where I was presented and, you know, spoke to them. Um, they fell in love with it. So they led the second round and also the next round we did after that. Um, and all of that, you know, has been going through us just building the platform, you know, bringing people on. Um, and then Last year, yeah, we did the round you referred to, which people put down as a Series A, and um, also that's you know just come in and you know we've used that to add more to the team, and um, and it's actually interesting, you know, because we now have access to you know capital, uh, so if we need to sort of do any more to the platform, um, you know, we can easily tap into one of those sources of. Uh, funding that we've got. But fundamentally, raising capital for an early stage business is, um, yeah, it's not easy. Uh, although when companies announce it in the press, and they say, hey, company X is just raised Series A or Series B or whatever of this you know, amount of money. It always looks simple, but it's anything but. It's incredibly, incredibly difficult. And I, I mean, I think you've, again, I said, you've done an incredible job for somebody, you know, from somebody who's raised, um, you know, third party funding, um, including angel and private sort of a, a few times. I always get this impression that certainly the early stage VC type don't understand the advisory space, right? 
And I think that the private equity or late stage, um, you know, investments they do, right? So, I mean, I think the only testament, the only evidence of that that we need really is to look at what's happening with the likes of, um, you know, Wealth Time, yeah. Cap, and, you know, um, you know, Nucleus, Novia. So yeah. there is money in the late stage, right? When these companies have, um, in court, proven themselves. But that's mm. not where innovation happened, right? The innovation happened no, no, no. At, at, at the much earlier stage. And I always get the feeling I have personally pitched, um, you know, well over 20 VCs. Um, I just don't think that they understand our space. And I don't think, that's my impression. Maybe your experience is completely different. No, I, th I think you're absolutely right. You know, uh, I don't believe there's a huge, you know, there's a huge amount of VC uh, or early stage investors out there who truly understand this market. And I think that is probably the reason why. And I think incumbents actually, the large players, you know, should be delighted that is the case. Right. Uh, exactly. If they do understand it uh, and they fund a lot of these, I see a lot of these companies in London who will go out and raise, you know, tremendous amount of money. Yes. Yes. And they're building a lot of stuff that you just know would not go anywhere. Um, but you're right, you know, that you know, there's a very small group of early stage investors that really understand this space. I think we've been lucky in the sense that we're able to get those people uh, involved. And uh, indeed, you know, some of them may not some of those who've invested in us may not also necessarily be investing in early stage businesses, but maybe they just sort of you know, with us, Twitter as an exception, and then they go behind the business. But you're right, it's tough. Um, who knows? Maybe at some point, I myself an early stage <laughs> fund. So let, let's move on then. So um, I want to talk about technology. You kind of alluded to it earlier on that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the industry, the platform sector is very, very bad at implementing technology, right? Providing. Yeah. Right, investment and platform providers in the main yeah. are not yeah. technology companies. Yeah. And then the likes of you come along with a predominantly, um, you know, tech-based offering. I mean, talk, talk us through what the tech stack within the platform looks like. So what, you know, have you built everything in terms of the trading, connectivity to the to the marketplace for the funds? You know, A, what does your own tech stack look like versus, well, what we might see in the industry with say yeah. an outsource proposition? I think I think I think what you see with us is that everything I always say one of the differentiating uh, factors, you know, between a platform, uh, let's say, you know, a software driven platform platform, say us as an example, against, say, any other SaaS, you know, software as a service uh, tool out there is that our platform, you know, despite the fact that we're building everything we've got, you, you don't operate in isolation, if you know what I mean. You have to somehow connect to the industry. You have to be connected to the industry. You have to be able to engage with fund managers and other platforms and so on and so because if you don't, well, you're just not in the business, um, unlike if you're just a normal software. Now, when we do that, there are a whole range of software that you have to build internally uh, to run your own business, to do your operations, to process payments, you know, to trade, 
to do reconciliations, to do cast, to run illustrations, to process payroll, to, I can go on and on. All of this software, I'm telling you, these are, you know, potentially businesses in of themselves. You could easily, you could easily, I mean, we run what we call fundment pay internally. That is what we use to process all of our direct debit and the rest of it. Now, I'm sure you're aware there's a company out there called GoCardless. Yes. We could compete with GoCardless with fundment pay, basically. And GoCardless is valued at war, nearly a billion. Uh, and there are lots of other software you have within fundment that we've built ourselves to sort of govern and administer various platform functions that we cast. It's also another one, you know, client money operations, which is a heavy, 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 heavy part of a platform work. So we would run all of that reconciliations every day for assets, for cash, making sure that they tie up and you know what client owns what. And all of that stuff are just regulatory stuff. And you have to do that to a very high level of accuracy and it's you know it's not easy um so that is what we've built and a lot of that you know as i said they're all being built in-house uh i mean we can go you know deeper into the tech stack and the rest of it but i'm sure your listeners will probably be bored by that other than the fact that the tech stack you know that we run internally obviously we'll use open source software you know which we also contribute to uh by the way um, to design all of that stuff, build it, maintain it, test it, and all that, deploy it to the production environment. Um, and then we would also then use all of that proprietary tech we've built to connect with the industry. So there are some industry-led utilities that we would consume ourselves. We're not going to build an utility for the industry, uh, really because you don't have the network um, uh, uh, capability or or the network effect, as I say, you do, you don't have that. Uh, people already are, you know, people already use Origo. Yeah. Right for transfer, so we have to consume that. People will use Carlstone, you know, we have to sort of connect that to make sure we can, you know, interact with uh, fund managers, all funds, you know, slightly different from Carlstone, but the same sort of thing. Really, you need them to connect with fund managers and so on and so forth. So that is what we look like now. Other platforms will probably just not even build anything. Uh, they may just say, okay, we're just going to, all of this stuff I've described just now, we just pass all of that on to FNZ. Yeah. Uh, and FNZ will do all that for them. We'll do all the cast thing for them, manage payments for them, manage trading for them, manage transfers for them, manage everything. So then the question is, what are the platforms doing then? Well, they provide support and distribution and brand on top of it, right? Mm -hmm. That's what you've got out there. Uh, and then there might be others where they're sort of in the middle where they might say, you know what, we'll pass on some of the backend heavy duty platform operations to someone else, maybe FNZ, maybe Bravura, whoever, but we will build our own front end on top of it to add a bit of differentiation mm -hmm. so that when an advisor is using Aviva, uh, or when they're using standard life, it won't look the same to that to that advisor. I don't know if you've uh, if you've used two different banking brands within Lloyd's. Try it. if you have an account with Lloyd's Bank and Bank of Scotland. You could your listeners can try it as well. The front end is the same, <laughs> which, which tells you they're all operating off the same operating stack. All right. So if you've got a lot of 
platforms, you know, just using the same stuff they might get from Rivera. Chances are that's what they would get. But some platforms may take the view that let's differentiate a little bit, build that front end, but the operating engine and the sort of teeth behind the whole thing is still the same, the same stack. So it depends on how our platform operates. From our standpoint, we run everything. Uh, the only thing we don't build is anything that is industry utility, which we would just consume ourselves uh, because we're not going to build the app and then ask everybody to come to us. It would be nice. Maybe we get to a point where we're so influential uh, and then we start looking into that. But for now, I think we're just concentrating on what we can control. We are very excited by our partnership with Timeline, which um, is of huge value to us. Uh, advisors, you know, um, if you're sort of following this, you know, we are building a very strong uh, engine with Timeline that would allow them to benefit from the rich data analytics that timeline has on retirement planning and through a few clicks, you know, an account can be opened with fundment. We are very excited by that. And I'm sure the two teams are working hard to make sure that uh, comes to the market uh, very, very soon. So yeah, watch out for that one. It's incredible actually that, um, you know, I, I think these utilities as you call them, is one again correct my ignorance i, I think it's one that they're one reason why um industry tech is so bad and um expensive right so you got all these things like Stone, all funds um in the middle um you know uh, what's the other one origo i mean i refer to origo as technology non-technology um you know you got all these things in the middle and you really as a provider you have to as a tech company even you have to connect to them and speak to them and you don't control them and so therefore i feel that and these are technology that are built you know more than 10, maybe 20 years ago in some cases. In your experience, how effective have they been in terms of um, what, you know, what they're actually supposed to do? And am I wrong in thinking that one of the reasons why, well, you know, if you want to do things like flat fee, it's very, different, it's very difficult in the industry is that you've got all these things in the middle that are essentially charging basis points and therefore... Um, unless you can influence them or change what they do, which you are not going to be able to, um, the 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 status quo persists, so to speak. Um, yeah, it's not that straightforward. Uh, I'm wrong. It's okay. I'm used to everybody. <laughs> Um, it's more complicated than that. Uh, some of them are effective at, at, at what they do, um, and some of them perhaps you know are less so. Um, and there are some of them that actually add to the work we do. Uh, for example, um, I think Origo is actually pretty good. Uh, all of the technology could be better, but in terms of what they're trying to do to sort of accelerate the transfer process and make it electronic and quick and fast, it's quite good. Uh, and I don't think you can expect one company would be responsible for its development. I think it has to be an industry thing and that's exactly what is happening and we support that. Um, and if we have, you know, of course, wherever expen expenses, you know, that you've got that we have to sort of pay, 
uh, or contribute to, then fine, it is what it is. Um, and then there are others, you know, where you need them to, um, you know, engage with fund managers. You know, Carla's doing this as an example, uh, and I think, you know, they're also doing a good job. Um, and they don't necessarily, I don't think the platforms that people say are expensive, you know, 35 years, I don't think that's the reason why those platforms are 35 years one or whatever. I think fundamentally the reasons why they are expensive is just because of the platform operation itself, uh, which is where the vast majority of cost would uh, be, be incurred. Uh, and it's a ridiculously expensive process. It, it, it really is. Uh, and of course, you've got regulatory costs you know, that platforms have got. Some of this is also percentage driven. Um, so yeah, you could so you could have a, you could have this conversation, you know, all day really. Just keep going round and round trying to figure out what is going on. Um, but yeah, there are some industry utilities that are very very good. They're very valuable. Can they get better? Yes. Can they make the life of platform easier? Yes. But more importantly, though, is the main question, can other operators in the platform market get better uh, and use technology better? I think, yeah, on that one, we still have a long, long way to go because people are still just dependent on outsourced technology. And I don't see that ending anytime soon. Yeah, no, so uh, before we move on from that point around technology, um, is I have always wondered, and I don't think I have an answer yet, so I'm interested in your perspective on the on the on the impact of whether you go um, outsourcing versus yeah. sourcing for the platform technology, the impact on the ultimate valuation um, of the company. You know, so the industry um, standard for success is of course Transact. You know, and the last time I spoke to Transact CEO, the, you know, the, the Transact CEO John, and he, he was basically saying to me, "Well, we are." Um, what's the word he uses? We are a compulsive insourcers. Uh, in other words, we build and own the technology ourselves. Transact's, of, of course, a two billion pound company. And you look at, say, Agri's Lansdowne again, you know, aggressively insourcing and ownership of the technology stack. Yeah. Of course, the, 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 the history. And then you, um, you know, you, you see the like of AJ Bell, you know, sitting in the middle. So they kind of, take some technology from um, GBST, but they overlay their own in, on, on top. But again, um, a, a runaway success in terms of the valuation of the company. And then there are, I am afraid to say, um, all the others, right? So you have Novia, 7RM, you know, um, Nucleus. Again, I, I like the, the one that the, I, I respect what these guys have accomplished. But they're not one billion dollar companies or one billion pound companies, you know. And I couldn't explain the huge or significant difference in valuation just by looking at assets, or I guess you can to an extent with profitability and margin. Do you think that technology is a is a big, you know, this um ownership of the technology or this um, insourcing thing explain in part or at all? I think, I think it does. Uh, I think it does. That is one of the things we learned, you know, when we were looking at the market. Um, well, fundamentally, what what makes a company valuable? Let's, let's look at it. 
so there are a few things, right? Growth. Is the company growing fast enough? Um, yes. Now, margin. Is the company generating healthy level of margins? Yes. Uh, and three, uh, what are the prospects you know, in, you know, of the industry in which the company operates? So those are the three core things, really. And your margin and your growth, to a large extent, you know, is a function of the technology that you operate. Um, so if you have the technology that is within your control, you could innovate faster. You have more flexibility in your pricing because you're not depending on what deal you've got with, you know, LFNZ or Bravura or whatever the case may be. And um, you also have flexibility in what you want to support, what you want to develop, you know, what is important to you. Um, and, you know, yeah, you're right. And all those companies you've mentioned, Transact, AJBL, you know, these are companies who were responsible for their own product. They've not outsourced most of what they offer to advisors. Um, and on the other hand, you have, you know, other companies, you know, like Accentric and the rest of you, where, you know, they just outsource everything, really, front-end, back-end, platform operations, everything. Uh, and all they've got is perhaps the brand and um, sales and distribution. And uh, perhaps some of these companies are not as valuable uh, as those companies who are actually... Well, building technology is difficult. It's really, really hard. And it's, um, you know, it's a strategic thing, really. Um, you know, strategic call. You know, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a technology business, really? In which case, you're building it in-house. Do you just want to do investments? sales and investment support then outsource it comes down to what you know to, to which one is we chose to be a technology business um which as i said earlier it's fun but it's also very very painful <laughs> uh and hopefully yeah, we will see the results um now for advisors though and i think this is very very important you know um because a platform that is well valued by the market uh, that is well valued by investors is good for the for the advice process because you can rely on their longevity. They're sustainable. Uh, they're well run, and they will continue to innovate and move and move uh, the, the the industry forward. On the other hand, when it's you know just low margin, just poor, badly performing business. This is when P's come in because they think the asset is a distressed asset, really, uh, and they'll be looking to buy it and change the management team, change pricing, change the underlying technology, and so on and so forth. Which in turn brings uncertainty um, to 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 you know to advisors and, and the clients. Um, but yeah, so as advisors, when they are carrying out that DD, sometimes you know it's good to understand who is behind this technology. If it's not the team and the company itself, personally as an advisor, uh, I wouldn't use that platform. So and you've benefited from this, all these upheavals going on with platforms being bought, haven't you? Talk talk to us, just give us a little bit of an insight into... Well, we, we're just paying attention to it, uh, like everyone else, um, you know, trying to sort of understand what is going on. We're seeing these P firms coming to the market. And um, of course, the reasons why they're coming, we all know that is because they believe these are huge. Who are you taking asset from? Who are you taking asset from, right? We're taking asset from pretty much everyone. I'm not allowed to say who they are publicly yeah, because they might start. 
they might start, they might start to sort of um, attack us uh, and maybe start blocking business coming to us. But we're taking business. They, they do that, don't they? Like if if the, the established players, you know, if they start to see the asset are moving to you, then they. they they usually find yeah, they usually find reasons. You know, they would uh, start to delay things. You know, they may sort of remove us from some list, and then they say, "Oh, you guys are not on our transfer panel, so therefore we're not going to send money to you uh, until we've you know sent some email to the client or some long documents to the client for another round of DD." And you go, "Really? Uh, you're not doing anything?" Yeah, yeah. So um, they all do it. Eh? Um, it is what it is, um, and we do everything we can just to manage expectations with advisors and the clients. But it's it's getting better now. I think last year we went through a lot with some of the big names, you know. But it's a lot easier now. I think you know our flows are coming to us uh, more easily than before, um, and we're not having the issues we you know we had with uh, some of the big names like Standard Life, you know. Um, you know, as, as, as we used to do. So they've been not good. Uh, I would say one company that has actually uh, been okay with uh, transfers to us uh, is Transact. You know, they quite frankly are living up to the ethos that if advisors and clients want to stay with them, they don't want these advisors and they would see to the business uh, as quickly as they can. And for that, they've got my respect. Um, but there are others out there that are just quite frankly, very, very cynical in their in their in their ways but as i said earlier it's getting better um and it will get better the longer we become uh more of a, an operator uh in, in in the marketplace and i think we're there now uh i think it's becoming well more people are becoming more aware of us than than is the case and hopefully that will continue to be the case Good stuff. Look, there is a lot I want to, uh, you know, talk to you about, but of course, time won't let us. So let's uh, wrap this up. Of course, this is a podcast ultimately about retirement and the technology and, and the investment that supports that. So talk to me. You're a young man still, aren't you? <laughs> but give us an insight to how a CEO of a platform um, plans his retirement. What does all us um, retirement portfolio look like? Oh, wow. My retirement portfolio is simple. 100% equity. Um, I'm not messing about at all. Uh, it's all 100% predominantly US, heavy into technology um, and some, you know, healthcare, you know, biotech stuff. Uh, mostly pass, actually 100% passives, you know, uh, sort of like to reduce cost in my portfolios, because I think it's a strong factor in the returns you get. Um, and just put it there, you know, I don't trade heavily. Uh, you know, in fact, you know, the fund men team will look after that for me. So it's a case of, you know, just select the products that we like, um, put it there. And, you know, I've got regular contributions going in. And it's the same pension I've had, you know, from my Aberdeen days, all the way through BlackRock, you know, all to, you know, through it one from, from Fundament, all of them wrapped together and just there. And, um, you know, cash flow planning at some point, you know, I need an advisor to help me with that. Uh, at the moment, you know, I, you know, obviously I'm still, you know, getting good income. So, <laughs> so uh, my tax affairs are relatively simple. Uh, you just file your tax returns and, you know, uh, you pay, pay a year and then you know, 
the rest of it, you know, you file your tax returns. And um, I'm not into property, uh, you know, as such. Uh, probably, you know, other than yeah, place you live. I don't, you know, do buy to less that sort of thing. Um, so retirement really uh, is not long now. I mean, so you keep an eye on it. You know, I'm probably you know 15, 18 years away. Uh, but um, yeah, simple. Keep it simple is what I always say. Keep it simple. Simple portfolio. Let the market do the work, basically. Good stuff. All Abdul, thank you very much for your time. My absolute pleasure, Abraham. I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together, led by my producer, Hannah Dickinson. Thank you, thank you very much, guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline App, the retirement planning software, and Bitfolio, the high-tech, low-cost, flat-fee model portfolio manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Abraham on Money. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.